In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. You confess it to God clearly, forthrightly, asking his forgiveness, and then he puts you right. That puts you right in the universe. He now accepts you in Christ. Then after that, you're going to confess to other men first. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, and I am here with my brother from another mother, our producer and co-host of this show, Dale Culver. How you doing, my man? Doing wonderful, Jim. Oh, what a canned vanilla answer. Are you going <laughs> to give me a vanilla man word, like pick the word battle or something out of the book? Come on now. Yeah. Yeah, I figured I was, you. I, I was thinking I about just making the man word vanilla. You should. That would be like a synonym for Dale. So I'm just kidding, man. I'm just kidding. Hey, want to push guys over real quick. Uh, we were speaking in Alabama last week, and we put uh, my new book, Guts and Manhood, the four irrefutable attributes of courage on the website and that is there now so guys can go and get that and that's going to be there for a little bit because we have a lot of guys asking about it and that's a free ebook for you guys so go take care of that book and check it out and uh, so dale i'm excited about our guest today because uh, he is on the show he's got a great story of victory and he is addressing in a book he wrote a battle that all of us struggle with i think this is a greater pandemic than the pandemic we're in and we really need to get some help constantly. So I'm really excited to get this guy on and share his battle, his victory, and how he can help our guys find freedom. So that's really exciting for me. And guys, make sure that you uh, are going onto our website, sending us your hero stories, sending us uh, positive reviews so we can uh, celebrate that with you because we believe when a man gets it, everyone, everyone wins. wins. So Dale, hey, speaking of that, buddy, do you have a man word today? I do, and my vanilla man word is boundaries. Oh, that's not vanilla. That's chocolate yeah. chip, buddy. Good job. That's the goods, brother. Oh, yeah. Bring yeah. it home, baby. Guys, really, we need to set boundaries in our lives. Uh, I would say, you know, boundaries around our cell phone devices, our computers, and, and all those things, but also in our relationships with uh, people who are not going to help us become better people. And, yeah. Uh, I just, uh, that's so important. And I think a lot of people don't set boundaries. Uh, guys serving in the church don't set boundaries sometimes and they get used up and chewed up by the church. So it has a lot of, uh, there's a lot of different areas in which we need to make sure we have boundaries. Well, in the context of today's podcast, I would say what I've been saying for years, the smartphone that is unprotected belongs to a dumb guy. Guys get covenanized on your phone, do something on your phone to protect you from yourself and uh, have those guardrails, those boundaries built up. So that's a good one, Dale. Do you have a hero story for us today? Yeah, I do. Uh, my hero story is from a guy named Matthew in the Pacific Northwest. And he says, the Men in the Arena podcast has made a big impact on me and my family. My wife enjoys it as well. We are recovering addicts, and I got my wife hooked on meth. We had a little girl at the time, and we, we are not headed. We were not headed at all where God wants us to go, but... We are almost three years clean now. God has moved in us like a wave. He has made me want more than anything to be the best version of myself I can be. For him and for my wife and for my now three girls. Thank you for what I, thank you for what you guys are doing. 
reaching out and taking hold of men and helping us stand. God bless. Yeah, that's really powerful stuff, man. It's really exciting to hear that. And his wife is listening, too. So we, we forget sometimes how many women listen to the show. They want to get the scouting tips for their husbands. So uh, right. good stuff, man. Hey, well, I want to bring on our guest today. I'm excited to get this guy on the show. Our new friend, Joe Rigney. He is, is that the right pronunciation or is it Rigney? No, it's Rigney. You got it. Rigney. Nailed it, baby. Hey, he's 38 years old. He's been married to his beautiful wife, Jenny, for 15 years. And guys always say, hey, Jim, why do you always say everybody's wife's beautiful and you've never seen them? Because the Christian guys get all the beautiful women. It's so simple. You live for Jesus and marry a, a gorgeous gal. So I'm sure she's a beautiful woman. Joe is the president-elect of Bethlehem College and Seminary. He is a pastor and an author of five books, including our book for today, More Than a Battle, How to Experience Victory, Freedom, and Healing from Lust. He lives in Minneapolis with his wife and three sons. It's my pleasure to bring on our new friend, Joe Rigney. Joe, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing very well. Man, it's good to get you on the show today. Uh, I, I think this uh, is a topic, again, that we've had several guys on the show in the past, but this is just a topic that we just can't neglect or ignore in the church. So thank you so much for taking the time to share your story and write such a bold book, which I have read cover to cover. Appreciate you being on the show, man. Hey, my pleasure to be here. Hey, why don't you do this? Why don't you take a few minutes and tell us your story, uh, anything that is pertinent for today's interview, and give our guys some context into your life, you know, personal life, things you enjoy, hobbies, whatever you feel is necessary. Yeah, it's great. So, um, like you said, I live in Minneapolis, the, the land of ice and snow. And in, <laughs> in February, it's uh, it's not the greatest place in the world to live unless you really, 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 really like the cold. Um, but but we but we've been here for 15, uh, 15 years, my wife and I. Um, I'm originally from West Texas. Uh, grew up there. Went to Texas A&M University. Came up here for seminary. Ended up staying now for fifteen years. Been a professor and a pastor. Um, and uh, have three boys, uh, 11, 9, and 2. Um, so that's pretty great. We're uh, looking forward to you know, pitchers and catchers report. So baseball is on its way, and uh, that's a big deal in our house. We're very excited about the spring. Um, and then, uh, yeah, kind of in terms of maybe the, the book that we're talking about today, like, uh, like a lot of guys, um, I was uh, exposed to uh, pornography when I was in adolescence. And uh, and like many guys, got hooked, and it and it was a it's a great um, it's a great part of my 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 story, my shame, my my sin, um, and uh, and I kind of was just drowning in it for a number of years, uh, and then around the time, right around the time before right before I got married, um, God did a, a great work. A number of different factors came together in that, including some really uh, wise mentors, uh, some great messages, the Spirit of God, um, a whole host of things kind of came together. Uh, in that season, and uh, and God did a great work, and uh, and since then it's been a very different sort of struggle. It's not, of course, we all struggle with temptation. Um, that's still a reality, um, but the nature of it was fundamentally altered. And so over the last, you know, 15 years, I've been trying to help other guys, whether it's my college students or guys in my church, um, to to experience freedom and victory and healing. And uh, and so then at some point somebody said, Hey, this is helpful. You should you should write this down. And so I did, and now I have a book. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, your book is more than a battle. And then the subtitle, How to Experience Victory, Freedom, and Healing from Lust. And so the guys listening to our show today, I just want to say this to you. The goal at this podcast's end is that you would have the tools to experience victory, freedom, and healing from lust. So I have a real quick question there, Joe. You didn't say victory, healing, and freedom from pornography you said from lust. And I think that was very strategic on your part. Will you explain why? Yeah. So um, obviously pornography in the modern world is the is sort of the main or one of the main um, avenues by which men are ensnared with lust, by, by mm -hmm. lust. But mm -hmm. lust is the actual sin. Lust is the fundamental thing. It's the thing in the heart. It's the thing that is broken. It's, it's the desires that have gone awry. And pornography is simply the modern... Uh, you, so you mentioned pandemic. Um, yes, that, that's right. It's it's the um, it's never been you know so sexual temptation is as old as dirt, um, but it's never been more accessible, available, anonymous, and therefore it's a much bigger deal. So when I talk about the struggle with lust, the book really does zero in, especially on pornography, though not exclusively pornography. Uh, but the real the, the real goal is we don't want to just um, 
deal with an external problem because I don't think that's ever going to be dealt with fully. But what we can deal with is ourselves, and that's what God wants to deal with. God wants to restore control of us to us. Self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. And so God's wanting to deal with us, and so it's, it's healing, victory, freedom, and healing from lust that we're really after. No, I really appreciate that because I hear a lot of guys say, I'm a porn addict, mm. and I'm sure that is true in a lot of cases, but the issue isn't porn. It's lust, and we need to get to the heart of the issue. Mm. Otherwise, we're just uh, do, fixing a symptom of the problem and not the problem itself. And That's so, right. hey, I want to throw you into uh, something that we do with a lot of our authors. I call this our rapid fire round. Okay. Okay, do you think you're ready for this? I think so. Okay, man, this is, I'm just going to throw uh, phrases and defin- uh, and words I want you to find out of your book. I'm just going to throw them at you, and you're a baseball guy, right? So essentially, I'm going to throw you a curve, and I want you to drive it over that right field fence if you're a right-handed hitter, right? So okay. here we go, here we go. Page 34, uh, a phrase you used, and I want you to explain it, artificial boundaries. Artificial boundaries. Okay, so the idea here is, um, you know, I, I wrote the book both for guys who struggle and for guys who are trying to help them. So the, you, you mentors and the guys who are in the pit. And one of the things that I do with guys when I meet with them is I try to gauge how serious they are about the fight. Some guys come into, the, you know, come into my office and they feel really bad because maybe they failed um, recently. And I'm trying to gauge how serious are you because there is a way in which guys will sort of say, I really want purity, but not yet. <laughs> and, and I want to try to weed that out because if they don't really want to change, they won't change. And establishing artificial boundaries is one of the ways that you gauge that. So, so basically, these are, these are basically designed to be, um, uh, we know that the, the problem is fundamentally in the, in the heart, but how are we going to get at that without having um, gasoline constantly being poured on the fire? And that's by things like, all right, if, if you're struggling with lust primarily through your cell phone, your smartphone, then the new rule is, you're not allowed to be on your smartphone by yourself or your computer by yourself, or you're not allowed to watch Netflix late at night. I say it's an artificial boundary because as you just said a second ago, it's, that's not the problem mainly, right? It's not the external thing that's the problem, but the external thing is feeding the problem. And so we're gonna try to cut that off. It's, it's basically a way of, of establishing an artificial boundary so that you can create space to deal with the beast. And the beast is inside, not outside. So it's a way that I gauge seriousness. Are guys really in this because they want, are they coming to me because they really want help? Or are they coming to me just because they feel bad and maybe their wife said they needed to come talk to somebody? And uh, so I'm, I'm serious about fighting sin. I'm willing to inconvenience myself for the sake of holiness. And it's a really great tool um, at gauging that kind of seriousness. Well, no, I thought this was a very powerful tool because on one side of the, the lust battle, you have these groups of guys out there, and I won't mention their names. They're doing a great work, but they just dive right into the heart, the heart of it, the heart of it, the heart of it, which I think is powerful. But there's a practical side that if yeah. guys don't have tools to battle this beast, they're going to fail. And I, I love how practical, and, and you just call it what it is, artificial boundaries. In fact, in your book, you said, and I want to repeat this again, the reality is that someone someone has to have a deep and persistent desire for lasting change, or they won't get lasting change. The, the, they must effectively be fed up with themselves and therefore committed to costly obedience. That's the key, because I think what I have found in working with guys is, is they'll come to me because their wife caught them with their pants down or yep. they got fired from a job and there's a lot of guilt and shame attached, but not necessarily a true deep desire to repent. And I love your quote of St. Augustine, oh Lord, give me purity, but not yet. Not yet. That's right. <laughs> so how do, you, how do you sift out the guy who's serious or the guy who just got caught? Good. So if I, so if I say to him, okay, first step, this is just step one right at the outset. Um, you're, you know, you're, you're falling into pornography on your computer late at night um, when you're by yourself. Um, the, new, the new rule for you, and it's an absolute rule, but ideally it's not a permanent rule. That's why it's artificial. The goal is at some point <clears throat> to take the boundary away because you have self-control. But and right now you don't. And so the absolute rule is you, you're not allowed to get on the internet by yourself. That means if you're going to check your email, you've got to go to a coffee shop or your wife's got to be in the room or whatever, but you're going to have somebody else around in order to keep you from being, from acting on any temptations that might arise. And if they, if they push on me there and say, well, that doesn't sound feasible to me. I, I've, got, I've got to do stuff for work. I'll say, well, that means you're not willing to be, even be inconvenienced for the sake of your holiness. 
and this probably isn't worth my time, honestly. Like, I've, there are guys who actually want help. There are needs I actually have to meet. But if you're not even willing to inconvenience yourself by having to, you know, adjust your schedule in order to use your, your computer, then you don't really care. Your holiness isn't, isn't uh, valuable enough to you. Another example would be, um, okay, it's, it, you're, it's your cell phone. All right, why don't we try get a, let's get a dumb phone. Let's, let's get rid of the internet on your phone. Let's lock it, either lock it down completely or get a totally different phone. And if somebody says, well, man, I don't know if I can do that, then that, that's the give me purity, but not yet. Yes. And the, the, the biblical text here is, you can't walk on hot coals and have unscorched feet. You can't carry fire next to your chest and expect not to get burned. But a lot of guys think that they can have a brothel in their pocket and, yes. and not fall into sexual temptation. And it's like, well, certain men can. Certain men can, can carry around a device that has access to unimaginable sexual immorality, and, it can, and they can be fine. But, but usually, if they're sitting across from, from me in these settings, they're not one of them yet. And so until they are, we're going to have to deal with that external problem, that, that gasoline. And if they're not willing to do that, then they're not really serious yet. No, I agree 100%. I tell guys when I was a kid, because I was exposed to pornography when I was probably seven or eight, Oh, from wow. a neighbor's Playboy stash across the street. Yep. And I, you know, that phone to me, when I look at that phone now, it's a, it's a potential library. You called it a brothel. Yeah, yep. it's all of those things. So the best way to protect it for me is I, I put an app called Coveted Eyes on there. My wife yep. gets all of the negative stuff. And that right alone has prevented the most of the problems, right, with lust. Right. So, but you, you, you say something here. So now the guy comes into your office it sounds like that artificial boundary is not set by him, but it's set by you. So in your book, you end each chapter with a word to mentors. Yeah. So what would you say to a mentor about who sets the artificial boundary and why? Yeah, the, the reason, so one of the problems I had as a teenager dealing with this is I'd have accountability groups, <clears throat> but they were basically big puddles of sin because every, <laughs> everybody, everybody was in the same boat and the boat was sinking. Yes. And, um, and so all of us were having the same struggle. All of us were having the same failure and nobody knew what to do, which meant that if anybody suggested, Hey, let's do this. Well, you don't know. You, you're, you're still, you're in the same boat I am. And so <clears throat> part of the goal is to have, um, men who are actually walking in holiness, men who have experienced by the grace of God, victory, freedom, and healing to be the ones to help set the wise strategic boundaries. So having a mentor, who is not in the pit, look at you and say, this is the first step. This is where we're going to go. Um, and then it's, but it's not enough to, for it to be imposed. It needs to be owned by the guy in the pit. He has to say, I'm in, right? I agree to that. And, and the reason that's important is one of the things that this boundary is designed to do is recalibrate the conscience. So hmm. if, if a guy agrees, I'm not going to get on the, on the computer by myself and he, he's all in. Okay, great. And then later, you know, that week he's at home, his wife's out with friends and he's got to do some work email and he jumps on there, does his work email. And, and as he's there, he realizes, oh no, I said I wasn't going to do this. And then he shuts his computer, but, and nothing happens, no, no sexual temptation, no, nothing happens. I still want him to confess that to me. I want him to tell me, hey, uh, I got on the computer by myself. Uh, I know I agreed I wouldn't do that. Now he's not confessing sexual sin, but he's, he's saying, I didn't keep my word. And the reason I want yes. that is I want, we're trying to calibrate the conscience to say, if you say something, you do it. If your yes is yes and your no is no, and, and I want you to feel convicted earlier. I want, I want alarm bells to start going off way before you get to the website where you typically go. Like, and so, the, and so there's, a, there's a way of we're trying to recalibrate, reawaken the conscience because it's the conscience is that little internal alarm system that says danger, danger, danger. And for most guys... Who, have, who are neck deep in pornography, that thing is numbed and almost dead because they're, they've been soaking in it so much that things are normal that ought not be normal. Okay, so I want to go back to our rapid fire round. Yeah, that wasn't very rapid. You, no, no, that was good. No, 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 no. It was, I asked another question. <laughs> That's, so That's on me, man. No, no, no. You, you get me going, and I got to ask some things out of your book that come up. So, That's great. So speaking of recalibrating the conscience, I want to go to rapid fire phrase number two, and I want you to explain this one, brain plasticity. Yeah, so this is a big deal. This was a, a major deal um, for me. It was, it was a part of the story that I just didn't know, and then it was only you know, years later after I'd experienced the victim freedom, victory and freedom that I, that I looked back and went, oh, that's what happened. So if, if you do any research on the effect of pornography 
on the body, one of the things you come across is brain plasticity. Plasticity basically means moldable. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the brain is moldable and it's particularly, uh, or malleable is, is another way to say it. And it's particularly malleable in our teen years. That's kind of when our, our brain, the organ um, that is tied to thought and emotion and everything else, um, is, being, is being shaped. And so you basically think of it as um, when, when you look at pornography, your brain is getting shaped in a certain way. And, and what that means is um, you, you develop brain ruts so that sin becomes easy and obedience becomes hard. You're basically weaponizing your body. And the amazing thing about that, when I, when I came across it in my, my research in, in, in literature, was how much it tracks with the way that the Bible talks about the role of the body in, in sinning. So in Romans 6, um, Paul talks about how sin is reigning in the body, making us obey its passions. And then he says, don't present your body um, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. And I thought, well, that's it right there. That's, that's basically saying, if you do, you, you're weaponizing your body. You're, you're turning your body into your enemy. And now that's going to compound um, lawlessness upon lawlessness, impurity upon impurity. It's making sin easy and obedience hard. It's, you're being habituated. You're developing habits of ungodliness. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's the brain plasticity idea is that your brain ruts because of the neural and neurological and chemical and hormonal stuff is like locking in that, that this, is, this is where sexual satisfaction, quote unquote, comes from. Um, and it makes sin easy and obedience hard. Now, the, the, flip, the flip side of that is it's possible for it to be undone, right? The grace of God and your efforts as a result of that grace can, can rewire the brain. It can reorient your body so that sin is um, not so easy. That's excellent. So I'm going to go back, go to another word here, uh, another phrase in your book for a rapid fire round that I think parallels what you just said. Let's talk about the Coolidge effect. Yeah. So Coolidge effect um, is this thing that scientists study um, in, and I'll, I'll just preface it here. They have to study this, I think, in in wicked experiments. And it's important to get that. That basically what they're doing is they're saying, hey, we're going to get a bunch of guys and show them a bunch of porn and see what happens. But one of the things that they discover um, is that, that, that among mammals, this isn't just a human thing, this is among all, all mammals, um, they'll, they'll have renewed sexual interest when you introduce the possibility of new sexual partners. And so, um, you know, that they, they can do it with dogs or they can do it with whatever. If you, if, and, and so the idea is a renewed sexual interest with the introduction of new partners. The reason why that matters for pornography is pornography is basically endless new sexual quote unquote partners. They're, they're imaginary, they're on a screen, but, but there's endless novelty. And this is part of what gets guys hooked is that endless search for the new, the new partner um, that's just fed and fed and fed. And it's why uh, pornography is a uniquely enslaving form of sexual immorality. Um, you know, older forms, if you, if you actually had to go to a brothel in the Victorian era or, or even talking about the, the Playboys um, maybe that we had when we were growing up, that's one thing, but there's sort of a limit. Like it's a hard copy magazine or it's a, yeah. it's a person. You have to go actually find a, per, a human being in order to commit your immorality. Pornography is endless supply of new and more gratuitous. And then, and then the, the, the flip side is, as you get accustomed to it, it becomes less arousing. And so then you need to find more, better, oftentimes more grotesque manifestations of sexual morality in order to get the same effect. And so guys fall further and further down the rabbit hole of uh, corruption. Yeah, guys, this is really important to understand this. This Coolidge effect is really important. Joe's saying you can go down the rabbit hole when you keep looking for the next best image or the next gr more grotesque scene or what have you. We have to be very careful, guys. This is a trap, and yeah. you're going to fall into it, and many of you are in it right now, and you need to listen to this. Yep. So I want you to just grab a hold of this and, and listen. So I want to go to our next uh, rapid-fire phrase. You've already mentioned it, but I think it's a nice progression here. And I've never heard this phrase before, Joe. And so when I heard it, I thought, this is really good. It almost sounded counterintuitive. Okay. But then when you explained it in the book, I thought, oh, man, that's awesome. And it's weaponize your body. Yeah. So this is the idea that um, your, your, your mind and your body are working together here, either for holiness or for unholiness. 
And your body can either be your friend because by grace you've habituated it to run in faithfulness or because of sin you've habituated it to run into corruption. And so if you think about some of the ways that the body's... So one of the things here, here's a good example. Um, when, you have, when, a, when a guy has an orgasm, um, your body takes basically a neurological snapshot, right? Sort of all of the chemicals that get released in that moment, the, the pleasurable sensations, the dopamine and the, and the epinephrine and all the sort of stuff that gets released there. Um, your body says, snapshot, that was awesome. What caused that? And this is meant to be a really, really good gift from God. Like, what, what is, this is designed to bind you to your wife. So in marriage, sexual intimacy, orgasm, and, and your body takes the snapshot that says, hey, uh, my time with this woman who I've covenanted together with and we've now known each other intimately, that's meant to be like a binding moment. That's a wonderful gift. Well, what pornography does and, and, uh, and masturbation is basically takes that snapshot, but now it's in front of a computer or on your smartphone. Um, it's at night. You're by yourself. And so now when you basically are in that scenario again, when you're in that situation again, your body says, hey, I, I know what happens here. And now all of a sudden, so you may have gotten on your computer to check your email, but your body just says, hey, it's like Pavlov's dog. I know what, I know what we can do here. And so that's a way that you've weaponized your body. Your body is saying, hey, I know what happens here. And it's supposed to say, I, hey, I know what happens here when you're with your wife on a date, right? You, you're taking your wife out on a date, you're investing in your marriage, and your body says, hey, I know, what, I know what's happening later. And, and now it's like, yes, this is designed to further and, and enrich our marriage. Um, and instead, it's doing it in this other, other context, which is forming and shaping you, again, to make obedience hard and sin easy. So, so, Joe, what's the relationship between pornography and oxytocin? So, um, you know, you've got in, in the, in the, the uh, pornography basically involves both an upper and, and a downer. So there's an upper, it, it's, it's a polydrug is what they call it, you know, medically speaking. Yes. So it's a polydrug. So it's got, it's got an upper, it's the dopamine high, which is like what cocaine does to you. And it's got a, a downer, which is an opiate release, which is like heroin. And you get both. This is why you have sort of like the buildup, the epinephrine, the excitement um, leading up to climax. And then after climax, there's kind of the like the come down, the relaxing, I'm ready for bed type feeling, right? And, and that's, again, that, that's by God's design, and it's good. But then por- pornography is basically triggering that, um, without the intimacy, without the other person, without the covenant. And therefore, it's taking a good thing out of its proper context, and you're getting the high without the good. Um, mm. and, and, uh, and so, and it, but it, and it's highly addictive. It, it goes back to that Coolidge effect. It goes back to the arousal addiction that many guys fall into, where they're, the, instead of just going to one image and, and you know, uh, masturbating to one image, it's like, image after image after image it's it's and there's a hunt it's it's a it's almost like we're it's it's a it's it's the arousal itself that is part of the addiction not simply the pleasure at the end of the arousal and so it's a really complex thing and and i should maybe bracket all of this um you know i I talk about in the book and one of the things i want to say about it is um neuroscience and all of the biology and stuff can help explain sin but none of it ever excuses sin so this, is a, this was helpful to me to explain, why is it so hard? Why is, this feels like really, really hard to break free. Why? And it's, there's reasons. You've weaponized your body. But uh, it never can become an excuse to where you say, well, I've weaponized my body, so therefore I guess I can't help it. Um, that's never true. That's never true. You're, you're still responsible before God um, for what your body does. That's really powerful stuff. All right, hey, uh, so Joe... As we're talking, I keep hearing you mention the word holiness and obedience, and I'm an ordained holiness pastor, so I resonate with holiness. I think it's something that is maybe not as much of a value as it used to be. Can you explain why the desire for holiness is so important in finding victory, freedom, and healing over lust? Yeah, so, um, well, it's one of the marks of the new birth is a hunger yes. for holiness, a hunger <laughs> and thirst for righteousness, for holiness. Um, and, uh, and so every Christian ought to want to be like God and be like Christ and therefore ought to want to be holy. We were 
um, we were saved in order to be holy. And and then the flip yes. side, the danger is, um, you know, there's a holiness without which no one will see the Lord. If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. The Bible uses really strong language for the failure to pursue holiness uh, as a Christian. And I think one of the things that the book's trying to get at is um, personal holiness is a community project. So yes. it's, it's not simply, okay, I'm, I'm supposed to be holy, it's all on me, but God meant for us to live in community, He meant for us to live in the church, He meant for, he need, we need help. Um, and so personal holiness is a community project, which is why um, the relation between mentors and men, between um, groups of men moving in the same direction, the kind of thing that you guys are trying to do here with men in the arena, is really, really important. Yeah, that's so powerful, man. And, you know, holiness is basically being set apart for God's purposes. Yes. And we cannot be set apart for God's purposes if we're in bondage to some other purpose, i.e. lust. And so you yeah. say something really powerful along that lines in your book. Yeah. And I want to read this quote. You said, uh, on page 15, you said, Galatians 5, 16 and 17 is a banner that flies over this whole book. And that, that verse is that verse is, but I say, walk by the spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh, for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. I thought that was a very powerful statement, and I stopped when I read it, I went, Whoa, 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 a banner. Can you explain? Uh, why you chose that statement and that passage for this book. Yeah, so um, for a long time I misunderstood it because um, it basically I, for a long time I took the passage to say, walk, so you get this exhortation, walk by the Spirit, and a promise, you'll certainly not gratify the desires of the flesh. And that's a pretty amazing thing to say, right? If you walk by the Spirit, you will absolutely not gratify the desires of the flesh. But then there was this bit after that said, well, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, spirit against the flesh. They're opposed. You kind of, you don't do what you want. And so for a long time, I thought this is a passage that says, Paul says, here, great promise, and then realistic walk back. But I, but I actually, through some, this is actually in seminary, I had a friend point out, actually, it's the other way around. We wake up every day in the middle of a war. We wake up every day um, with spiritual, as Christians, with spiritual desires and fleshly desires at war and and then the issue is, well, whose side are you going to choose today? Are, are you going to walk by the Spirit, or are you going to walk by the flesh? If you walk by the Spirit, then the Spirit's power is with you and in you so that you will not gratify those fleshly desires. Now, the interesting thing about that is the desires still may pop up. They may still be there. Temptation may still happen, but you don't have to gratify them. You don't have to indulge them. You don't have to run where they want to take you. But the only way that you'll be able to resist is if the Almighty Spirit of God is with you and for you to keep you from doing it. So that's why. So that. So then yeah, the, the, big, the big question for the book then, why it's a banner, is what in the world does it mean to walk by the Spirit? If if that's the pathway to deliverance from the desires of the flesh, I really want to know what does it mean to walk by the Spirit. So that's the banner over the whole book. Well, and walking by the Spirit comes down to holiness, which is seen through obedience which goes back to Galatians 5, a couple verses down, 22, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So what you're saying in the book is we need to pursue holiness through obedience, which yep. is a sign that we're living by the fruit of the Spirit. That's right. And I, and I would add one more element there that I think is really crucial. And this is crucial for, the, for mentors to get... Um, a big problem in this is the, is the amount of uh, the, the shame and the guilt that this particular sin produces for guys means that they, they often try to fight it alone. Yes, and a big yes. part of what we're trying to communicate is God is for you, and so am I. Like, God is so, He's so committed to you that He'll do anything to make you holy. Like, He will do anything to make you holy. And so... Um, to have that, the, there's a, a part in the book where I talk about the, the orientation of the, of the mentor, how you're going to help guys, and I call it gospel presence. And the idea is, is that you're leaning in with a kind of, I'm for you. What you just confessed to me is not the end of the world. I'm, I'm, I'm not recoiling in horror at what you just said or what you just confessed. I'm leaning in because I'm, I'm going to walk a thousand miles with you if you really want to go to Jesus. I'm with you. 
And then at the same, and then following from that, and therefore anything that's going to keep you from Jesus, I am absolutely opposed to, and we will kill it together. Uh, that is so powerful. Anything that opposes you, we will kill it together. And I, I think that that reminds me back to a statement you just said. We are in the middle of a war. Every morning we wake up, we're in the middle of the war, and we have to ask ourselves: Will I be a weapon? Will I be weaponized? for God's kingdom, or would we, will I be weaponized, as you said earlier in the book, against my own body? Yep. Right? Yep. And so that's so powerful. Yeah, I was reading this morning, Joe, in Psalm 40, actually yesterday, in Psalm 40, uh, David says, my sins were piling up. Yes. And I think that's just so powerful that when these guys can get a mentor and a coach who wants them to win, yeah. it, it begins to shovel that pile of manure away a little bit, one scoop yep. at a time. Yeah. But you said this, so earlier in the podcast, we talked about artificial boundaries mm -hmm. and how important those are to establish. But I want to go to the next, what I think in your book is the next phase. And on page 38, you said this, and this goes along with this mentor wanting these guys to win. You said this, once you've identified some initial artificial boundaries, the next step is to establish some accountability. And like you said earlier in the podcast, not a, a puddle of sin, mm -hmm. but some guys who are winning in this area and want you to win. Then you continued. Accountability works like this. First, clearly agree to a boundary. I will not be on the Internet when I'm alone. That's an example. Next, if you cross the boundary, if you get on the Internet alone, you've broken your word and need to confess it to your mentor or another man in the group, which we've already talked about this morning. But let's talk about this establishing accountability. What does that look like, and who does a man target? Yeah, so the, um, accountability is basically, I'm, I'm moving toward Jesus, but it's a community project. So yes. we're, we're moving together, and these guys are there for me and against my sin. So I've, the, part of the goal in, the, in a group like this is you want to create an environment that is safe for sinners, but is not safe for sin. And it's, it's really easy to fall off on one side or the other. If it's just safe for sinners, but also safe for sin, you're going to get puddles of sin. If it's, if it's hostile to sin, but so hostile that it's hostile to sinners, then everybody will just keep their mouth shut. Nobody because it's not, you can't even confess it. The goal of, of good accountability is um, an environment where you can confess your sin forthrightly, honestly, um, to these other men, um, and I'd actually say, I, I kind of walked through sort of three, three levels of, of confession in failure. First to God, he's the main one you sinned against. He's against you and you only have I sinned, David says. So you confess it to God clearly, forthrightly, asking his forgiveness, and then he puts you right. That, that puts you right in the universe. He now accepts you um, in Christ. Then after that, you're going to confess to other men first. Before you, before you would talk to, say, your wife, you're going to confess to other men. And the reason for that is they're going to get it and understand in a way that maybe your wife won't. They're, they're men like you. They, they're, they're oriented to the world the way you are. And you're confessing to them for wisdom and accountability. They're going to say, well, did you do it? Tell me about what led up to it. Or there are ways that you um, were sliding into sin, that you were making provision for the flesh. They're going to push on you, which is why it's really important to pick accountability partners that your wife trusts. So one of the things I often, this is counsel I give to guys, in choosing the men who are going to hold you accountable, get your wife's take. Does, does she trust that guy? There might be guys that in your life that she goes, I don't want you confessing to him. I see the way he treats his wife. Oh, yeah. And, and, so, and, so, and what you're trying to do is you want her to be really happy with the men that are holding you accountable because then that frees her to be your wife and not your main accountability partner. And then if you sinned grievously enough, uh, you've broken covenant, then after talking to the men, you ask for wisdom. Help me, guys. What should I tell? talk to my wife about? How should I say it? Give me some guidance um, in order to restore our relationship because I've, I've blown it. And moving through that way is meant to keep you from um, unhealthy patterns of confession where a guy can sometimes treat his wife like a priest where he, he feels terrible and then he finally like vomits all of his sin on her and he feels better. He got it off his chest and now she's covered in vomit. And, she, and, and, yeah. and then and she's carrying it with her. Now she's going, am I enough? Um, you know, wh why is he struggling this way? Is this my fault? She's, she's got all kinds of fears, maybe some anger, understandably so. And, and that's a real danger because then you get mutually feeding spousal sin. His temptations to lust are threats to her. 
her anger, anxieties, fears make him really on edge, and it's just a really toxic mix in a marriage, and, and you're trying to break that by healthy patterns of confession and accountability. Well, this is the balance, right? You, you know, confess to God, confess to men, and at some point you bring your wife into it. You said if, the sin, if there's a breach in covenant, at what point does the wife come into this? At what point does a man say, man, I need to, I need to talk to my wife? Yeah, so that, that, there's, a, there's a wisdom element here. There's, I don't yes. think there's a one-size-fits-all. Um, and this is where the other men, pastors in your life, are really going to be guidance. So they need to know where's your wife at, where are you at in this fight, um, how are things going, and there needs to be some mutually agreed upon. So, you know, as a, as a practical example, um, if, a, you know, if you're dealing with kind of double-take stuff where, you know, you're driving down the street and there's the billboard or whatever, and you kind of look and then you look again, is that the, oh, man, I... I, I idle curiosity, that sort of thing. That's a sin. You were sort of soaking it in for a minute, but is it the sort of sin that you need to then call your wife and say, hey, honey, guess, guess what I did on the way home? Probably not. That's probably going to create more anxiety in you and in the marriage that's going to be helpful. Yes. You do need to confess it to God. If it happens frequently enough, you should probably bring the guys in and they might say, hey, maybe take a different route to work then, right? Like if, you know, in other words, let's take, let's be proactive here. Um, if it's, if it's something in general, my, my counsel often on this is if you're actively seeking something, like if you, so in other words, if, if you go looking for sin and you find it, that's the sort of thing that, that may, may be necessary to confess. Now, if you go full on and you, you binge on some pornography, yeah, you probably need to confess that to your wife. You've sinned not just against God, but against her as your covenant partner. Um, but how to confess, how much detail to give, all of those are wisdom calls. Um, that you work through with the men who love you and her. So, so one of the tests I often give to guys about accountability is you want the men that you're confessing to to be as hard on you as your wife will be. Ooh, that's good. Right? So, but because they can be hard on you in a way that she can't. Like if she pushes on you that way out of anger, hurt, fear, etc., you're going to respond differently. But if a guy... If, if another man that you know cares about you and wants what's best for you says, hey, man, here's the deal. You, you violated the boundary here. We're going to have to change the boundary. We're going to have to even get, we're going to have to be more creative. We're going to have to try a new strategy. You're probably going to respond to it better because it's coming from a different source. And that matters. It's, it's just wisdom uh, for, for the battle. So, so, you, you, so speaking of wisdom, you've mentioned a couple times that your accountability guys push on you. Yeah. So can you give us some examples uh, or one that comes to mind of uh, an example that worked of a guy pushing on another guy? Yeah, so um, it would be the sort of thing where, um, well, part of what you're doing with these guys is, you know, you've, you've got your artificial boundaries in place and they're helping you to kind of police those. So they're mm -hmm. asking you about, hey, how'd you do this week? Whatever. Um, if if you keep v violating that, so say, say they said, um, okay, I'm not going to get on my cell phone by myself because that's how it's happening. And you keep having to confess, hey, I went on my cell phone again. At some point, what one of those guys should say to you is, I think we need to get you a dumb phone. It, you're, yes. you're, clear, you're clearly not even able to have the covenant eyes or the locked phone or whatever. You, you're, you're, you keep finding ways around it. So we're going to have to draw a new artificial boundary. Let's just cut it out completely. Let's get you a dumb phone. So that's the kind of push that they might give. Now, the other thing that they're going to be doing, and this is the, the middle of the book, um, is really dealing with the nature of the battle. Because often there's a whole host of other issues that are feeding into the struggle with sexual sin. Like, so I talk about it's a wider war, it's a deeper war, it's a more subtle war. There's emotional components to this. Um, there's other sins that might be in play, envy, anger, anxieties, pressures at work. And one of the things you want from wise mentors is you want to be dealing with those things. Um, one of the images I use in the in the book is um, there are sins um, that get headlines and then there are sins that fund newspapers. So a sin that gets a headline is something like sexual sin. When, when it happens, it's big, it's flashy, it gets all the attention. Um, but then there's other sins, far more subtle, that are actually the ones bankrolling the whole operation. They're funding the uh. newspaper. And if you don't deal with the sin funding the newspaper and you're constantly distracted by the marquee sin on the headlines, you're not actually dealing with the real issue, which might be self-pity. It might be uh, anxiety and stress at work. It might be anger. It might be childhood, you know, wonkiness from the way you grew up. There's a whole host of brokennesses, sins, patterns underneath that you've really got to get into, and you need other men to help you 
deal with those. Um, otherwise, you're just going to be distracted and think, I have a sexual sin, I have a lust problem, when really you have an anger problem. Or really, oh. you have really you have. So th- th- um, here's a here's a real practical example of, of a guy that I that I worked with years ago. He was a secure he was a security guard, um, and he you know at night like a night night watchman type guy. He's on his phone. He doesn't have it. You know, it's a kind of a boring job. He really wishes he was in another line of work, and he kind of feels stuck. And so he feels stuck and bored, and he's comparing himself to all of his his friends who are moving up in the world and you know advancing in their careers, and he just feels trapped. And in that trapped moment, late at night, while, you know, the secu- as a security guard, he gets on his phone and kind of acts out in terms of looking at what he shouldn't look at. And so I look at a guy like that and I go, does he really have a lust problem or does he have a comparison problem? Right? It, like, is the real problem here the sexual sin or is that the symptom and the expression of a deeper discontentment in his own life? And if we don't address that issue, that discontentment, that envy of his friends, that, that covetousness... Um, that anger at God, why haven't you given me the life that I wanted? If you don't deal with that, then you're never going to actually deal with the sexual sin. That's the expression of a deeper issue. And so part of the artificial boundaries is to create space to go there and to ask deep and penetrating questions uh, about what's really driving the show. So you talk about deep and penetrating questions, and I want to go back this, to this for a second because a lot of guys, in fact, our hero story uh, was a guy who got his wife involved in meth, mm-hmm. and and I've heard stories of guys getting their wives involved with pornography, mm-hmm. and you know they bring them into this this darkness. And so, I want to talk about something you said in your book called the watchdog and the caged animals, because yeah. I think guys really guys you really need to hear us here. You need to use wisdom with how to pull your wife into this. Uh, we we got to be careful here. So can you explain the watchdog and the caged animal uh, motif? Yeah, so basic idea is a husband's sexual sin, his lust, fosters fear in his wife, anger, frustration. It activates her insecurity, and then out of that insecurity, she's going to protect herself, okay? She, he's not protecting her. She's going to protect herself. So she becomes hypervigilant. She's the watchdog, okay? So wherever they go, um, she's looking out for any attractive women, um, it's the sort of thing where, you know, you, you sit down at a restaurant and you're just praying that the waitress isn't pretty. Um, <laughs> and, and then she is. And now your wife is watching you to see how you react to her. And you're trying to, like, just, you know, locked in on your menu. And now a, what could have been a great date night has turned into this, like, powder keg ready to explode. Yep. And so the more that she's the watchdog, the more that you feel like I'm an animal and at any moment I could just explode into lust. And that actually, it's, it's, the, it's the phenomenon of, if you say, hey, don't think about sex. And every time you say, don't think about <laughs> sex, every time you say, don't think about sex, you start thinking about sex, right? And, yeah. so it, and, and so she's saying, is he thinking about sex? And now you're thinking about it. And so there's a watch, so watchdog and caged animals that reinf- her hypervigilance reinforces your sense of, I'm at any moment on the brink of going over the cliff into sexual passion. Um, and so, and so now you're on edge and anxious and she's watching you going like, man, he can't even look at the, he can't even look at the waitress without lusting. And then you're going, no, no, I'm trying not to. And, and so all of it, it's just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And a big part of, and, and that, and, and then eventually blows up because you're so on edge, she's so on edge and now you can't even talk about it. And so a, a major part of the book, especially towards the end is to try to help identify those kind of, um, dynamics and then provide avenues for sober-minded, careful, wise, loving conversations. It's the sort of thing where, again, mentorship, now you've got an older couple, perhaps, a man and a wife, who are helping you walk through and have hard conversations about why she felt that way at the restaurant and what you were thinking and, and all of those sort of stuff. But you, you have to have guided conversations in order to get out of that. Man, Joe, I have seen this so many times, especially with guys that have cheated on their wives. You know, Emerson Egricks in his book, Love and Respect, talks about this crazy cycle. Yeah. And, and so this is a different type of crazy cycle, right? Yes. You get in this insecurity cycle. It leads to this watchdog uh, caged animal cycle, and it's very, very dangerous, and, and, uh, and it's, a, it's a long climb out. Well, you talked about in your book, and, I, and you alluded to it earlier, this deeper, longer, wider, and subtler war. Can you yeah. explain that? Yeah, this is a deal that I got from one of the guys who was really influential on me um, years ago. is a, a counselor named David Pallison. Uh, he now has a, he's, he died recently, but 
uh, before he died, he, they put it into a book called, I think it's called Making All Things New. It's a really great book, companion. Um, but, but the idea is, if you don't, so we're in a war, but it's a longer war. In other words, don't think that you're going to like quick fix this thing and you're going to be done. You need to think, this is going to be the rest of my life. I'm going to have to fight sin and resist temptation until I die. And then, but you don't have to fight those battles today. You just have to fight today's battle today. So I need, I need grace for today yes. so that I can have a long obedience in the same direction. So there's a longer war dimension to it. Wider war is it involves more sins than you think it does, as, as does deeper war. Like, in other words, there's layers uh, of the problem that you need to be aware of. And oftentimes, these are the sort of things that I, th- I don't think guys frequently recognize. There's a deeply emotional element. Most, some guys think that pornography, the temptation to, to lust in pornography, is mainly just about naked bodies. But oftentimes, guys are acting out fantasies that are indicative of a, of a deeper uh, sin and brokenness in their own lives that may go back decades. You know, hmm. fa- father hungers, um, distortions in with you know, people, desire for respect. So one of, the, one of the observations I make in the book is that um, one of the chief things about sexuality, a fact about sex for men, is that uh, part of the pleasure is in satisfying, sexually satisfying a woman. Like, like the, and so in sex, and that's a good gift. Like that's, that's giving pleasure, rece- receiving pleasure by giving pleasure is, is a gift. But pornography takes that and twists it to where you basically are, are getting these mirrors screen on the screen or in the magazine or whatever for your manhood to, to you don't feel like a man at, at work. You don't feel like a man with your wife. You don't feel like a man with your um, kids. And so I'm going to just take a break and go, and the woman on the screen thinks I'm amazing. She thinks I'm satisfying. I'm a man. I'm strong. I'm powerful. I'm desirable. And that's the drug. And so what you're really looking for there is like validation, affirmation. Mm. And that's just, and, and so you're, you're willing to settle for the validation and affirmation of a fantasy woman on a screen rather than doing the hard work of being respectable and honorable in your wife's eyes or your kid's eyes, or fundamentally recognizing you're approved and affirmed because of what Jesus did. It's a gift. God loves you. God's for you. You don't need to work for it. And so getting it, that, that's the deeper part, right? Like there's deeper heart issues happening there than just, yes. I, like, I like naked women. That's not, <laughs> that's, that's superficial. And if you only fight it at the I like naked women level and don't get deeper, then you're going to continue to get stuck in this cycle because you don't even see what's really going on. Interesting. So that's the deeper. And we talked about the longer and wider. Uh, earlier, you alluded to the, the subtleties of war. Can you go back to that? Yeah. So part of the um, this is this is part of the, the sins that steal headlines and fund uh, uh, newspapers or, or our weaknesses. So um, there's ways in which you need to ask questions about your, your patterns leading up to a fall, like where were you tempted? When were you tempted? How much sleep had you had? What pressures or anxieties were you under at work? How were your relationships going? So um, I recommend in some ways, if you're, if you're struggling here, you need to like almost keep a journal uh, to just kind of go, hey, th- th- sexual sin isn't, isn't just like this random thing that happens to you. There's often patterns playing out. Does your sin feel familiar? How did you resist it? Did you resist it? And so these are the sort of things you want to kind of keep track of. And then that's what you're going to talk about with your guys. Like you're going to the guys and saying, okay, I felt really tempted Friday night. I almost got on my computer. It was like I was in the, you know, battling principalities and powers. And okay, what was going on before that? Well, I'd had a really hard day at work. And there's subtleties there um, that you're trying to get into um, so that you don't, so that you don't miss uh, the dangers uh, or you don't miss the, the real dangers. Maybe the other thing, um, to say about, uh, about this is there's different levels. So there's a difference between fighting, um, you know, th- there's the sort of um, sin that you go looking for, like you have to go search on the website and find it. Um, and then there's the sin that comes looking for you. That's the random magazine when you go to Target or, you know, the display at Target. Mm. And, and you have to recognize that those kind of no effort sins are harder to fight, but, that, but you want to fight the battle there. Like, ah. like, like, don't wait. Um, you're not, you're not fighting the battle. Like where you, so the principle is where you choose to fight is where the battle will be fought. If you wait until you've sort of fed your imagination with double takes, idle curiosities and fantasies, and then now all of a sudden when you're by yourself on a Friday night and your wife's out of town and you're at your computer, 
now you're going to start fighting. I've got news for you. It won't go well. <laughs> instead, yeah, true. In, instead, you want to start fighting earlier. So I, so this is something I picked up from Palison. It's like it's a video game. So when you when you play, you know, we play video games. I I played like Mario growing up as a kid, right? So playing Mario, the you know at the beginning the the bad guys are pretty slow and stupid, but so are you. Like your fingers <laughs> don't work well, and you don't know what you're doing. As you get better, they get harder. And so there's the same principle working here where um, if a guy's been, you know, going to strip clubs and that's his, that's his sin, it's like, well, it's, you can, that's actually easier to stop doing that than it is to get a handle on your imagination. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and stuff like that. And so you need to recognize it's going to get harder, but you want to stop, stop the boulder of sin at the top of the hill. Don't let it build up a big head of steam and bowl you over at the bottom of the hill. So you've got to get into the subtleties of it. You've got to, um, you've got to get in and fight at the, the level of the imagination. So that's really good, and I appreciate that. You know, when we start diving into the deeper meaning behind you being a dirty, rotten scoundrel, I, I get lost in the weeds a little bit. Uh, but I think when if a guy can take the battle to that early, early level, that is a game changer. In your book, you gave a wonderful tool, and we're coming close to the end of our podcast here with you. But I want to draw this out because I thought this was a great, great tool you called this a, a channels during temptation. Yeah. This was really powerful. And you mentioned one of those channels that you use is called the aftermath. Yeah. Uh, so explain that and then any other channels that you have found effective. And, and guys, I want you to listen to this because this is a very powerful tool that you need to put in your arsenal against lust. Yeah. Okay. So okay. go ahead, Joe. Okay. So here's the deal. So you got to think of your imagination as like a screen in your mind. Okay. And the world, the flesh, the devil, they can throw, throw things up on that screen. They, so, you know, you didn't, the, where'd that thought just popped into your head? You, you know, the woman walks by and immediately your mind runs in a certain direction. Say you're in that situation. Now, you can't always control what gets thrown up there, but you do control what stays up there, okay? And, and this is where changing the channel, that's the image, comes into play. You can't fight something with nothing. So if, if you've got, if, if that thing's getting thrown on the screen and you just kind of go, don't think about it, don't think about it, don't think about it, you're going to get stuck. Instead, you have to redirect your imagination to a different direction. So the aftermath um, would be something like, imagine the conversation you're going to have with your wife if you go down that path. Imagine, you know, I'm a pastor, um, imagine the disqualification for ministry if I get sucked into the web of pornography addiction. Imagine my boys finding out what I just did and how I hurt their mom. So that's the aftermath is picture the devastation. So if I'm trying to resist the allurement of sexual temptation, I need to sort of see through the lie, the immediate promise of pleasure to the long-term devastation. And I want to, I want to put that before my mind and say, like hell, I'm going to look at that, right? If, like it's, it's a motivating, like now, I'm now I have something to fight for. I'm fighting for my marriage. I'm fighting for my kids. I'm fighting for my ministry. That's motivating because I changed the channel to why am I fighting? Um, also remembering the promises of God, remembering the good things that it will ruin, the guilt. I don't ever want to have that conversation uh, with my wife ever again. Like those are, those are changing the images. Um, and, and sometimes that's really, that really works. Other times it's just really hard. And then it's, it's almost like holy distraction. Meaning, I'll sit there and go, okay, I need to get a book. Uh, I need to get a novel. I'll, so I'll do this sometimes. Um, I need to get a novel that's totally going to engross my imagination and suck me into a really good book. And that's how I'm going to fight this, this sin right now. And so it, it's basically redirecting your, your mind so that you don't get stuck with um, the, the, the devil throwing stuff up onto your imagination. That's changing the channel. You know, it's funny, Joe. I've never thought of this changing the channel concept but i love it and i've done that inadvertently when i was dating my wife this is years ago almost 30 years ago i found a picture of her and she looked really skinny mm -hmm. and really sad and she was standing next to a street sign that had her maiden name on it i said honey what's this about she said oh this picture was taken right after my boyfriend not me her, her boyfriend before me cheated on her mm. and ran off with her roommate married that roommate oh. and i i thought i never want to be the guy to hurt shanna Yep. ever ever again yep. to have a picture so sad so i play throughout my marriage i played that yep. that in my brain i put that picture of her in front of the street sign yep. and i think that's so important that that we we do that so joe 
Hey, let's let's do this, man. Let's. Uh, this is so good. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time time to come on our show. But let's give give us a breakdown. If a guy listening, uh, he's driving to work right now. He's going, okay. What are some steps I need to employ to get this thing rolling in my life to come, find victory and freedom? I, I've heard, you know, uh, well, I'll let you lay it out. I've heard, we've heard several things today, but give these guys like your top three or four steps. Yes, the top three or four things. Um, <laughs> At the, at the risk of self-promotion, <clears throat> I'd say get the book. Oh, we're already promoting the book, brother. Yeah, yeah, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, but what I'd say is y- y- um, get, get the book and get the guys. And then it's, hey, we're going to work through this together. And I would actually say get your wife and have her read along through it. Because one of the reasons I ho- one of the ways I hope the book is helpful is it might, you might have some penny drop moments, some, some aha moments in her as she, as she goes, as, as I try to describe the experience and the challenges and all the layers here, that if she looks at you and reads this and goes, is that true? And you go, yeah, that's how it feels. And she's going to go, oh, I had no idea. I, d- I don't experience the world that way. Women wow. do not. Women it, do not. Right. It, men and women are different. They, they experience the world different, have different temptations. It, it, you know, now, pornography, unfortunately, is on the rise even among women. Yes. Um, but it usually operates differently. And so um, it's the sort of thing like, hey, let's, let's read through this together. Let's talk about it. Um, let, let's, you know, because I think there's maybe things that if, for, for some of you guys, if you were to say them to your wife, it's going to sound like you're trying to make an excuse. If I say them to your wife in a book, or if I say them to other guys in, the, in a book, that, that you go, this is how it feels for me, that they might go, okay, I can hear it from somebody else. And now it's, it's something that you can talk about and work through together. Um, I think the other big thing that I would, I would just say, you know, as, as a major principle is if you're stuck, if you feel stuck um, in this, you just got to know that there's hope. Yes. Like, you don't have to stay stuck. Like, God, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you be, you, He can deliver you. He, he can. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in the lives of other men that I've counseled. It's a remarkable thing when guys who think there's no way out, this is going to be my life forever— all of a sudden begin to realize, you can see it dawning on them as they walk by the Spirit, as they uh, lean into to Christ, as they work through things in their marriage, as they work through things in their background, as they talk through this stuff, all of a sudden you can start to see like the light go off like, oh, I, I don't have to stay stuck. I can actually walk by the Spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so I just would want to say to the, first, the main thing I'd want guys to hear is, hey, there's hope. Don't give up. Yeah, that's really good. And if and for you women listening, I, I usually don't address the women because our podcast is for men, but more and more women are listening. Women, realize us as guys are pigs and our minds are wired different than yours. We're very visual. And I would say if you're a woman listening to this podcast, engage your husband in conversation. Ask him about his struggle and, and just come alongside of him so he doesn't see you as this person he's afraid of who's going to act like a, uh, you know, put him in a cage and, and, uh, and, uh, and live in this insecure world. So I would encourage our women just to jump in here and engage in this conversation. It is the elephant in a marriage. A lot of times your husband is working through this, even if he has victory, it's, it's there. And we live in a world where a lot of temptations. So mm-hmm. now I appreciate that Joe so much. Hey guys, let's for, first of all, before we let you off the thing, where do these guys go and get your book? Uh, you can get it at Amazon. Uh, you can go to morethanabattle.com. That's another. There's a landing site. It's got uh, some resources, some some additional. Maybe have some links to other other uh, interviews and things like that. But you can pick the book up there uh, at morethanabattle.com. Hey guys, so let's get our boots on the ground. How are we going to respond to today's show? And I'm going to do something different today. I'm going to have have a boots on the ground for the men and a boots on the ground for the women. We've never done this before. Women, your boots on the ground is this: have a conversation without being threatened with your husband about lust. Just engage him in that conversation. Men, again, we are beating this dead horse. You have to find a group of men who will, as Joe said, push you because they want you to win. Guys, we have to get in this game with other men. So, Joe, hey, man, thanks so much for coming on the show. Man, it was a a great time, and this is such a huge topic we are in the middle of a pandemic, and I guess calling it a pandemic is weak. This is a war, and uh, your book is a great weapon that we can use to weaponize ourselves against the enemy and mm-hmm. to grow God's kingdom as our best version. So thanks so much for coming on the show, man. 
My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Dale, hey, drive us home, brother. Yeah, guys, we want you to head on over to meninthearena.org and get your free book. And then also we'd love for you to leave us a positive review, and we will send you some swag. So until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. Men in the arena. If you hunger to be your best version, join us along with thousands of men from around the world. Check out our Men in the Arena forums. You can join on Facebook or on our website at meninthearena.org. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men's from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.